Welcome everyone to week one of Breaking the Law. Let's talk about sin. Yeah, sin. Now immediately when we talk about sin, and when I tell you that's what we're going to talk about, you may have different reactions. Some of you may immediately be like, oh, great. Gracious. Man, I don't need this. I don't need this. Because you just assume that that's pretty much all churches talk about and pastors talk about is just sin. And you assume that this is going to be just filled with guilt and shame and years screw up and just all this stuff. So it's not going to be like that. But I understand your, your reaction. On the other hand, some of you may be like, great. Not like, oh, great. You may be like, yeah, yeah. Because, see, on the other end of the spectrum, sin is all you want to talk about, right? You, you've got a list. I mean, not like a written-out list, but you have a mental list of everybody else's sins. I mean, you don't, like, keep one for yourself. I mean, who does that? But, like, for everybody else, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah. We're going to tell them. We're going to tell them. And you know what? I saw her come in. I'm so glad she's here. Oh, Jesus, no. She needs this. And... And, oh, I got to text my brother. He's got to watch this online today. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know where you are in your responses to this, but hopefully not in either of those extremes because um, it is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. That's why we're doing a series on it, and we're going to talk about why it's a big deal in this series. But caution, it may not be for the reasons that you think it is a big deal. And it may not be for the reasons you assume that it's a big deal. So we're going to learn together. And when you listen to most preachers like me and, and what Christians talk about and pay attention to what churches focus on, or, or if you pay attention to what Christian books uh, so often are about and Christian publications and the topic matter in Christian religion, you, you may have the conclusion, you may come away with the assumption that the Christian life is pretty much about some kind of sin management. It's just, just all about sin. And you're trying to figure out how to deal with all the sin. And people say, that's a sin. You can't do that. That's a sin. You can't live. That's a sin. You can't. No, that's a sin. And I'm sure that's a sin. And, and or they pose it in the question that come to people like me. And I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people that begin, hey, preacher, is that a sin? Is that a sin? That's in the Bible, ain't it? I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible somewhere. Can you, I mean, we're going to get somebody to look that up. I'm, you know, it's sin, 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 sin. Here's sin, there's sin, everywhere's sin, sin. Kind of thing. Right? It's all about sin management. And then churches and some Christians often take it one step further. And like I said, they kind of come up with a list. A list. Now, it's not printed out. You don't write it out and post it on a wall somewhere. But you just kind of have this unwritten list. Now, let me give you an example. And this is kind of an extreme example. But it, it was my life. So it, it's a little bit of a therapy session publicly here. I grew up in a Christian culture. Let's put that in quotes here. A Christian culture and religious culture growing up in the South that now I would refer to and many people refer to as kind of a very legalistic type culture and a church um, background kind of situation in that it's all about rules and we defined our Christian life and following Jesus 
by what we did not do. We don't do that. Nope, we don't do that. They, they may do it. They may, we ain't going to do it. Like, let me give you some examples. And some of this, some of this is funny. It's kind of sad. And what's really sad, though, is a lot, not a lot, there's, there's a good many people that, that still live this way and think this way. Like, for instance, I was taught that it was a sin to wear shorts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, the first pair of shorts I bought myself, I was 18 years old. Yeah, pity me. But on the other hand, if you see me in a pair of shorts, you may be like, no, that's a sin. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. That's not loving. Shouldn't do that to people. I get it. I get it. I feel that way myself. Like, yep. Uh, another example, I was told and taught that it was a sin to go to the movies. Maybe you've heard, yeah, you sin to go to the movies. Now, now, if you waited until it came out on VHS... Or DVD, right? You could watch the movie in the privacy of your own home. So the point is, you can watch the movies, you just can't let anybody know you do it. Like, it's so inconsistent, right? Here's another crazy example. I was told and taught it was a sin to wear a hat in church, to wear a hat in a church building. Now, if you have a hat on, please keep them on, because that's not right, okay? I like your hats. Here, wear, wear your hats, all right? But what's interesting about it, that only applied for men, Women could wear hats to church, especially on Easter and Mother's Day. Oh, it was in vogue. It was like, I love that hat. Oh, look at her hat. Look at her hat. But the man come out like, where is this? And who decides? And do you see what I'm talking about? How inconsistent. When we boil sin down to, you know, a list of do's and don'ts in this sin management thing, it gets real wonky real quick. Oh, yeah. And we and don't listen to rock music. Can't listen to rock music because it has a beat and talks about sex. Now, you can listen to country music. I'm serious. I'm not making this stuff up. You can listen to country music. I mean, even though it also has a beat and talks about sex. But I, I mean, very inconsistent, crazy stuff. So when you talk about what sin is, and we really do need to talk about what sin is. When you talk about what makes sin, sin, you cannot relegate it to a list of do's and don'ts. It's bigger than that. It's more personal than that. And here's why. You can't relegate it to a list of do's and don'ts because what we call sin often changes. It changes from culture to culture and century to century, even within our own culture. For instance, just hang with me, there's some things that were once okay even considered good, that nowadays we would all agree, uh-uh, nope, that's crossed the line into sin. For instance, drinking and driving. We would all agree, you should not drink and drive. That is a no-brainer. But did you know that at one time that was just, okay, well, all right. You just be responsible, but don't, I mean, it's not like against the law or anything. In fact, it didn't become a law until the beginning of the 1900s, the state of California, I think 1904, 1905, uh, right in that area, I may have, I may be off a year or two, uh, made it law. Now it's against the law. And it wasn't until the end of the 1900s, towards the end, almost the end of the 1900s, in our own lifetime, when finally all 50 states got on board, on the books, that it was against the law to drink and drive. And I'm not going to tell you which state was the last one to get with the program, but it's a big one. And you're like, wow, that's interesting. And so, and so here's the interesting, isn't it? 
Like, why, why? It's against the law. But at one time, it was not. And we were like, okay, well, that's okay. Not wearing a seatbelt? Come on, I remember. You remember? We had this big old Buick. And I would lay up in the back window on long trips, right? My face right up against the glass and it's all fogging up and everything. And my middle sister, she would lay in the seat and my little sister was relegated to the floorboard. And that's the way we traveled. There's no seatbelt. And if dad hit the brakes long enough, hard enough, it was great because I'm coming down. Boom, boom, all my sisters, you know, woo. Yeah, you know, a little a big brother lived for that moment. Right? No seatbelts. And we look at that now and go, no, seatbelts are wise. Seatbelts are a good idea. And in fact, seatbelts, it's a law. And it saves lives. Statistics don't lie. What changed? So it wasn't, it wasn't a sin to not wear a seatbelt when it wasn't a law. Now it's against the law. And they're like, okay, so the law's changed. Um, child labor is another example. Something that was accepted and even um, uh, you know, needed back in the day when kids had to work, take care of their siblings and, and stuff like that. And now we would go, and rightly so, rightly so. Slavery, something that was accepted that now we go, what were we thinking? That is not okay. That is not okay. Nothing could be more not okay. Uh, There's certain words that that were once okay to use that now you can't say those words. There's certain hand gestures that once you could use these hand gestures, now you can't use these hand gestures because they offend people. In fact, if you like to talk with your hands, don't travel abroad. You could get into trouble. On the other hand, there's things that were once considered wrong, but now we would say, no, no, after, after you know, time has passed, these things are okay. In fact, we would say some of them are actually good, like tattoos, right? I mean, it was universally accepted. It was like, no, you don't get tattoos. I mean, back in the day, no, 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 no. And now it's all bougie, <laughs> right? Right, and it was like, no, that's in the Bible, that's in the Bible, that's in that Le- Leviticus, Le- Le- Leviticus, Levi- Levi- yeah, Leviticus, that, yeah. Yeah, Leviticus chapter 19 is not talking about that at all. It's, it's, it's the context is completely different than the kind of tattoos that you get. In fact, I just had some work done. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, at least placement, that's none of your business. You know, it used to be wrong for women to vote. And we look back and we're like, what were we thinking? What in the world? Aren't we glad? Aren't we glad? Aren't we glad that we figured that one out? Uh, it used to be wrong for women to wear pants. Interracial marriage used to be, you know, you can't do that, that's wrong. And then there's certain words, certain words that you could, you know, never say, and you don't say those. Uh, like the word, let me give you an example, and some of you are really nervous right now. <laughs> like the word pregnant. I mean, that was just socially, uh-uh, uh You don't talk like that. That was seen as just a disrespectful word. And now it's just like, oh, I think she's pregnant. And we just throw that word around kind of stuff, you know? And, and there are more words and more examples. The point is laws change, culture changes, and people change. So who decides? Who gets to decide what a sin is? Who decides? Culture? Government? Me and you? Trends? And where does God fit into all of this? So if you see the Christian life as pretty much about sin management, when you try to figure out what sin is, you're going to be all over the place trying to figure out if you see it all as a list of do this, do this, do this, and don't do this, because sometimes those things change. So we need a different way to understand what sin is. We need a better way to understand what sin is, and especially how God sees sin and how God sees sinners. And that's what we're going to do 
the rest of our time today. Interesting is that Jesus' most common topic was not sin. His most common topic was actually the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God was like, what the kingdom of God was about more than anything else. There wasn't sin. And you would think, right, that the Savior who came to die for the sin of the world, that his main agenda would be like, let me, tell, let me talk to all these sinners about all the sins that they're doing. Let me give them a list and, and all this kind of stuff. And no, no, it was the kingdom of God. And this is important because we assume. We assume that because God hates sin, and listen very carefully, God does hate sin but he probably doesn't hate sin for the reasons you think he does. Next week, we will talk about why God really hates sin. But we assume that because God hates sin, and he does, that then God, as a result, must be on some kind of divine cosmic quest against the sinners doing the sinning. And that is not true. In fact, we're going to journey through the scriptures in the next few moments. I'm going to take you on a little journey through the scriptures and we're getting a picture, we're gonna get a picture together of how God sees sin and how God sees sinners like you and me. And all the other sinners that you're really clear on what they're doing wrong, right? Even though it, you're a little fuzzy on what you would call wrong for you. We'll, we'll have some fun with that later on in the series as well. But it all starts in a garden called the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And even if you're new to church and you're new to this whole uh, you know, journey with God kind of thing, you're probably familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. It's culturally uh, relevant kind of thing still to this day. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God gave them one rule, just one rule. Can you imagine life with one rule? Like how easy would that be if there was only one don't do this? Everything else you can do. All yeses and one no. And what did they do? They disobeyed God. You know, it was about the tree. Don't eat from this tree. And there was the fruit. Even though we paint it like an apple, there was no apples. You can't grow apples in the Middle East. The snake, the serpent, and all that. You know, we have our own artistic renderings of all this stuff. But basically it was, don't do this. And they did it anyway. And before you go, oh, such idiots. Just one rule. How could you break the one rule? Because the Adam and Eve story is really a story of us. I do that. You do that. We do that. And if we were there, we would have done what they did. So lighten up on Adam and Eve and understand this is a story of humanity. We sin. Next part of the story, we come to the Old Testament, that first part of the Bible, the, the biggest, longest part, Old Testament, where we have the Old Testament law that is often referred to as the law of Moses. And God gave Moses the law for the people of Israel because the Israelites were a slave culture. They, were, uh, they, they had no laws of their own. They, for 400 years, had been enslaved to the Egyptians and God sent Moses to deliver them out through the Red Sea and all those marvelous miracles that God did to set people free from the slavery of the Egyptians and to establish his own people through the Israelites and then to bless the world ultimately through Jesus, through the nation of Israel. And God had to help the Israelites establish their own civil government, their own civil society because they had no laws. They were a slave culture and now they're on their own. They're no longer slaves. And so they have to have some type of laws and structure by which to form a civil society and more importantly, honor God. 
Learn what it means to try to honor God with the way we live and how we treat each other. And so as a result, we have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was the, the first part of it. Then when it was all said and done, there was like 613 laws. That's a lot of laws. But it began with the Ten Commandments, the top ten. And, and the point of this whole thing is, is just to show people that they have sin in their lives and that they're all sinners and that they all need a savior because nobody could keep the 613 laws. Nobody could even keep all the top 10, right? Adam and Eve couldn't keep one. Old Testament says you can't even keep 10, much less 613. And all of these had purposes and reasons for the day and the context in which they were given. But the point of the whole thing, it was like this divine experiment and test to give us an opportunity as a human race to, to show that, hey, we think we can do this. We think we can do this. And we realize, no, we can't. No, we can't. I can't. You can't. We can't. We are in need of a savior. Act three, in a little town called Bethlehem, God sent the Savior in Jesus, God in flesh and bone and blood. And Jesus lived a sinless life and kept the law perfectly. All the top 10 and the 613, he kept them all perfectly and did what none of us can do. He fulfilled the law in himself and then gave himself on a cross as the savior of the world and did for us what none of us could do for ourselves, much less for each other. And if you want to know how God sees sin and how God sees sinners, look no further and please look nowhere else other than Jesus. Because Jesus' reputation, the word on the street with Jesus when it comes to sin and sinners is that he was a friend of sinners, and nobody saw that coming. Nobody expected that response in the Messiah. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now, come to the first century, and Paul the apostle, reflecting on all of this, he summarizes it like this. In Romans chapter three, Paul writes to the Romans, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All, all, that means me and you and everybody. Nobody's left out. All of us have sinned. It means we're all sinners and we fall short. We fall short of the glory of God. That really is, I think, maybe the best definition. If you wanted to pinpoint a definition of what sin is, you could say it like this. Sin is when we miss the mark. When we miss the mark, and the mark being the glory of God, perfection, ultimately Jesus, because Jesus was perfect. Jesus kept the law. Jesus was sinless, and only Jesus, and the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is always the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to say. The way of Jesus is always the right way to respond, and we fall short of the way of Jesus, don't we? And we fall short of perfection, because I ain't perfect, you ain't perfect, nobody's perfect. You know, we say that. It means we're all sinners. But he goes on. Even though we all have missed the mark, we can all be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. By Christ Jesus. And so this, this really is about what Jesus has done. Jesus was sinless and he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And he offered himself on the cross, taking our sin, the penalty of our sin, the power of sin, and absorbed all of sin up into himself and conquered it with his death and ultimately his resurrection. 
And then continuing our journey, Paul writes to the Corinthians and describes it like this. For God was in Christ when Jesus was hanging on the cross, doing that for us, dying on the cross. God was on the cross in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The word reconcile is a banking term. It's a banking business type term. When you reconcile the books, right? You reconcile, you make things match up. You make sure they line up. Everything is accounted for. And God was making things right, making people right, reconciling the world to himself. And if you want to know, if you really want to know what God thinks about sin and sinners and your sin and you as a sinner, look at this next part. Here's God's attitude. Through Jesus and because of Jesus, he is no longer counting people's sins against them. Let's go back to that. I, I think I faked out the, the people that back. No longer counting people's sins against them. That's God's attitude. That's how God sees your sin. He looks at you and he's no longer counting people's sins. That's, isn't that like the direct opposite view of God that most people have? Most people think God's up in heaven like this with big control board and he's got all of our names on buttons and all the buttons, you know, and, and there's ledgers, right? And there's check boxes and there's this lightning bolt button that he's always ready to hit. And he's like, yep, good, 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 good. Better today, better today than yesterday. It's like two less sins than yesterday. We're making progress and it was good until 2 p.m. What happened at 2 p.m.? It's just like you fell off the wagon. Oh, that's not good, that's not good. At the end of the day, oh, was so close, so close. Did you see how close it was? They were almost had a good day. It was a bad day, bad day. And he's like, no. You think God is, that's not, that. And then if it gets really bad, he's like lightning. <laughs> That'll show him. No. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. There's no ledger. There's no check boxes. God's no longer keeping score. He goes on. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So essentially what Jesus did is he broke the system of the law because he broke the power of the law when he fulfilled the law in himself. And the system of the law was all about condemnation. You a sin because you're a sinner because you sin. You're a screw up because you screw up. That's what the law does, just to point out how bad you are. It's all about condemnation. And Paul writes to the Romans again, there's no condemnation now. Now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It's no longer about eh, 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 bad, bad, bad. You're bad. You're all bad. No. He goes on and explains. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And sin always leads to death, meaning sin always kills things. Always kills things. You can live and I can live in freedom from the power of sin because of Jesus. And in this series, we're going to talk about what that looks like. It's too much to go into today, but we'll get there. But what I want you to see at the beginning of this is what is summarized by the writer of Hebrews when he wrote, God's will for us is to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. That's the point. Once for all time, once for all people, the problem of sin was taken care of 
through Jesus. So essentially, what started at a tree in the Garden of Eden was ended and completed at a tree on the cross of Calvary when Jesus took care of it. And I cannot stress this enough. As a result, sin is no longer God's point of reference for sinners. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Sin is no longer God's point of reference when he looks at sinners. Jesus is. So when God looks at us, it's not about a ledger. Because we've all messed up. Because we've all sinned. The Old Testament leveled the playing field for all of us. We all need a savior. And what this tells us is, is that God is not nitpicky. This is great news. God's not nitpicky. He doesn't see us through a lens of sin. He sees us through the lens of the Savior. And it's all about not how much you've done right or how much you've done wrong, even though it's right to do right and it's wrong to do wrong, and we will talk about why next week. But when God looks at me and you, it's not about how much and how bad. And it's, it's, when God looks at me and you, it's all about where we are in reference to the Savior. That's what God's concerned about first and foremost. So God's point of reference for sinners is no longer sin. It's Jesus. Because Jesus took care of the problem of sin. He took care of the problem of sin, which means you and I now have a path forward as we deal with sin and as we deal with a life being a sinner, struggling with sinning. Let me say it another way, okay? Jesus is the focal point for this whole topic. Jesus is the focal point. When it comes to talking about how God sees sin and sinners, Jesus is the focal point. Not you, not me, not my sin, not your sin, not anybody's sin, not their sin. And that's good news. That when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus. That's why trusting Jesus is so important. Putting your faith in Jesus is so important. Because when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus. And incidentally, as a result, when we look at God, because Jesus is focal point of this whole thing, we need to see God through the lens of Jesus. When we look at God, we don't need to impress upon God what I think, what you think, what they think, what I said, what they said, what you said, but what Jesus thinks and what Jesus has said and what Jesus, more importantly, has done. Jesus is the focal point for this whole thing. So that means life is not meant to be about managing sins, but rather about trusting a savior who defeated sin, who conquered sin, who took care of the problem of sin. Now, this is just scratching the surface, okay? There's a lot to talk about, and we're gonna talk about a whole lot more. I mean, because there's some bad stuff out there, and then there's some horrible sin out there, and it hurts a lot of people, and, and then there's some things that we're gonna have to wrestle with together, and we'll get there, okay? And, and I'm, I'm right with you. It's a big deal. And we'll talk about why. But, but, but at the beginning, you got to understand how God sees this whole thing. And it all focuses on Jesus and our relationship to him. This is huge. No more condemnation. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts, even though there are some things you should do and some things you shouldn't do. And we'll talk about that in this series. We're just, we're just, this is just a tease. This is just the introduction. This is just the foundation for us to build on. But it's a 
Very important foundation. When God looks at you and me, sin is no longer his point of reference for us sinners. Jesus is. That's why it's so important to trust Jesus. It's not about percentages, ratios, who did more, who did less, or what you've done at all. There's a beautiful summary of this that I came across not long ago. I was reading a book by uh, Brennan Manning, who has passed away, and he's with the Lord now, and he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Now, I, I, I read a lot. Um, I'm not a quick reader. I, I don't read fast because I, I think, I read slowly and really think things through, and I get distracted easily. That's the other reason. It's squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I read, so I don't, read, I don't I read a lot. I just don't read fast. So if you're like, oh, I could never do that. No, no, no. If you're a reader, uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel, it's an interesting name. Probably won't forget it. Ragamuffin Gospel is a great, great book. Great. And if you're not a reader, you can listen to it. You can get that stuff on Audible and, and listen while, while you're driving. It's a fantastic resource. But I was reading in the Ragamuffin Gospel, and I came across something Brendan Mann wrote that when I came across this, I backed up, read it again, backed up, read it again, and then I just wrote it down because it made me think of where our journey has taken us today. He said, God is not moody or capricious. And the word capricious, since that's usually not a word that you know, we use a lot, he doesn't change on a dime, okay? He's not fickle. He's not like, oh, you never know what side of God you're gonna get. If he gets up on the wrong side of the bed, oh boy. No, 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 not, God's not like that. We're like that, God's not like that. He knows no season of change. He has a single, relentless stance towards us. He loves us. In fact, he's the only God that man has ever heard of who loves sinners. False gods, gods of human manufacturing, and if you think of this, you do the research and the study, you'll see they despise Sinners. But the Father of Jesus loves all, no matter what they do. But of course, this is almost too incredible for us to accept. So that's why many people choose not, sadly, they choose not to accept it. Because it just seems too awesome, too incredible. You mean, you mean, God's love for me is not dependent upon what I do? Correct. And that how God sees me is not based upon my do's and don'ts and behaviors and, and doing more good and less bad. And even though that's all very important and we'll talk about why that's important, that's correct. In fact, that is why, my friends, this whole message is called the good news. It's counterintuitive. And it's almost so good, people are like, it can't be true, because it seems too good to be true. But listen very carefully, it is 100%, and more than you can imagine, absolutely true. So at this point, you're probably thinking something and feeling something that, and I'm doing the talking, and I'm thinking it, and I'm feeling it too. Well, if this is true, then why is sin such a big deal? If God doesn't look 
to me through the lens of sin. He looks to me through the lens of Jesus. And if God's not up there keeping score, you're like, good, bad, good, bad, check, X, check, X. If God's not treating me like that, then, and if God loves me no matter what I do, then why sin? Such a big deal. I mean, I assume it is a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal, more than you can realize. Why is sin such a big deal? I mean, you're doing a series on it. Why is sin such a big deal? I mean, Jesus died on the cross. The cross meant something, right? I mean, there must be a big deal to some degree. Why is sin such a big deal? Because it certainly must be. And we will talk about why it is next week. But for today, here's what you need to know. You're a sin, you're a sinner, and you sin, and we do all the sinning. And because of Jesus, God is not against us. He is for us. And Jesus is proof. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this. Good news. It's almost too incredible. Almost too awesome for us to get our minds around. That you don't see us through some type of checklist. It's really not about who has done what and for how long and who hasn't. Because our categories of what we put in the context of sin often changes. We often change them on ourselves. Thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for giving yourself to take the penalty of sin and, and take the power of sin, absorb it up into yourself and break it and conquer it and fulfill all the requirements for us so that you look at us now no longer counting our sins against us. You look at us now through a heart of sacrificial love and we see that in Jesus and you welcome us to come to you to learn what it means to live by trusting and following you in the freedom from the power of sin. So Father, help us to receive how you see us, that is, through Jesus. And help us to see you in return through the lens of Jesus. And may we learn together in the next coming weeks why sin really is a big deal. But may we know above all and before all and after all you love us unconditionally and invite us to keep trusting you all along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you for week two of Breaking the Law.